0: the internet you're busy and it's the end of the year so you're maybe not quite as busy as normal this is the games beat decides podcast i'm your host jeffrey grubb uh we're going to be going over our best and worst moments of 2018 in this uh, in this episode uh joining me for that is jason go ahead and say hi to everybody
1: here. hi it's jason wilson the managing editor here at game Speed, and happy holidays to y'all
0: and we also have dean takahashi say hi dean
2: Hello, I'm lead, uh, what am I? I'm lead writer for GameSpeed, and I organized the GameSpeed conference coming on April 23rd, 24th, 2019.
0: There you go. Always be plugging. And also, finally, we got the whole crew at the start of a podcast. Mike is here as well. Say hi, Mike.
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Mike, and I resent going last.
0: <laughs> it's
1: the Christmas miracle!
0: Uh, yeah, I know. We made it happen. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: No, no, we'll see how long it lasts. that is the miracle that we're all here or that we're making Mike go last? <laughs> that's, uh, not <laughs> that's,
0: that's not a miracle. That's, that's just no nature miracle. taking its course. Yeah, that's just the way it should be. Um, so, yeah, like if you've been tuning in for our, our episodes, you have an idea of kind of what we're going to do here. We've got a bunch of, of moments that we've uh, sort of uh, plucked out from games and news and all kinds of stuff that's happened. And we'll be talking about that uh, throughout this episode. Um, and and like I've been doing, I think I'll just kind of do it here as well. I think I might just go ahead and start kind of set the tone and we'll take it from there. Um, you know what? I'll do this one because we, we sort of talked about it on another podcast. So we'll just get it out of the way real quick. Um, this is the, uh, the best night out with a friend award. Uh, and this goes to the moment in red dead redemption Two where you are drinking with your buddy instead of looking for that guy you were supposed to be looking for. Um, I, I, I have my problems with that game as we've uh, as we've talked about, but this was one of those things where I'm like, okay, I, I get I get Rockstar and I get the appeal of what they do. This is big and silly and funny, and there was a lot of really great physical comedy moments in there, and I was I was really having a good time during that. And you know, they were um, playing with my expectations and started uh, uh you know like one of the. the, the coolest things during that moment was when they started just putting the guy's head, Lenny, they started putting Lenny's head on all the different characters and you'd go and like, you find this woman, and have her turn around and it would be, Oh no, that's Lenny. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was really, really entertaining. I had a good time with that. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely talked about that earlier this week. So you guys, we don't have to dwell on that too much. Um, how about we hop to, uh, Mike, Mike, why don't you, since we went last with you, uh, in the introduction. How about you go ahead and give us one of your best moments of the year? Okay. Or worst.
3: Well, I think what I kind of want to bring up, especially since you're just talking and now I'm thinking of your beautiful face, is oh, uh, the Sony's E3 Funhouse this year. Yeah, just ridiculous. The, the, the conference that was just so special, it ended all conferences for them forever. It's,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, just that, crazy. That was a, that was, so this is what a lot of people don't like this. They didn't like that E3 press conference because they were watching at home. But if you were there, it was a oh, good time, right?
3: It was fun. And, I mean, it was stupid, I yeah, guess. Yeah. But, like, in a glorious way.
0: So, yeah. while people people were at home, they were watching the stream. They were, like, seeing, like, kind of uh, people on stage. And they were seeing some of the stuff. But for us, like, we started in this pavilion with a, uh, you know, a bunch of just, like, drinks and stuff in there while we waited for the thing to open up. And then they put us inside a, a sort of church. This, like, church barn thing. Yeah. We were waiting in there for a while and we didn't know what was going on, and then they just showed some uncharted stuff, and then they took us into another theater and we sat down. Like that, and that we- game's
3: called Last of Us, Jeff. Not uncharted. Sure. Ah.
0: Oh, whatever. All the same stuff. It's all the same thing. It's all just oh, a video God. game, right? Video sure. games are not just Pac-Man anymore, it turns out. Okay. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Um but, but then but after that, like is when it like really opened up and we saw that like the entire structure of this place had been made over into looking like different Sony video games. And there was a big area for like New York City for Spider-Man. And then there was like this Japanese themed area for Ghost of Tsushima. And they would have like accurately themed like theme appropriate food and stuff. Like it was, okay, all, yeah, it was the
3: party was like, insane. There's like it was half uh, Spider-Man like New York with like food carts, living statues uh, and then like the other half was like, yeah, Ghost of Tsushima, like Japanese, like instead of like a sushi, like, like conveyor belt, it was like all on a little multi thing.
0: Oh <laughs> right, my yeah. gosh. And they had like um the, like mu- the had people the fake playing leaves. Music over there in the corner.
2: had the fake leaves as well from Ghost uh, yeah. of Tsushima. I thought about and, that too. Like, I, the, I was like, like, sort a, of like
0: all over the place.
2: I was like afraid we were going to get stampeded uh, in the, the hall with the Last of Us part two there.
0: Yeah, moving from The the Last of Us uh, church to the other theater, it definitely felt like that because people were like, got to get the best seat. So people were watching.
1: Now, here's the thing. I was, you know, watching from home, and I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on and why they are doing like this. And there was all this waiting. And and, and for me and for other people watching on home, it sucked. (laughs) You're not wrong. Oh,
3: yeah, it sounded like it was awful if you were actually watching it. But if you were there, we,
0: I mean, this can like, like go right into another moment, which is like Sony does pull out a B3 and announces that like, um, that, that was like a, a, a kind of a, a big, crazy announcement. And it does feel like, um, when we were there, Mike, you kept saying this feels like Sony taking a victory lap. Um, and when we were there, that's definitely what it felt like. And it also felt like they didn't have uh, a good idea of like what this whole thing was supposed to feel like beyond that. Like, it it doesn't seem like they felt or they that they they thought. A I mean, ton it was about what the experience would be like for people at home.
3: Their E3 was focusing a lot on games coming out in 2019, right? It was, which is kind of a, a bit strange. I mean, you, you know, Sony is usually talking about like a loss of community feature, but like almost exclusively that E3 was all like
2: next year, next year stuff. And they might be all delayed as well.
0: <laughs> I mean, at least some. Like, who knows when Ghost of Tsushima will come out and. Last of Us could be 2019. It might be later. Like, there's a good possibility they'll want to delay that game because, you know, th- th- that's a big game. Um, so, so yeah, like, they're in a weird spot. And it, it just felt like, look, we are on top of the world. Um, we do have Spider-Man coming out. We're pretty excited about that. Let's just kind of focus on that out here. That's the only game that's really playable. And it was at that thing. It was the only game you could play. Um so 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 yeah, like I'm. I guess like coming off of that, I wasn't too surprised that they didn't want to come back to E3, especially because, uh, you know, while we enjoyed it, I, I, me and Mike, I know both you and I definitely did enjoy it, but everyone host. else seemed to hate it. Yes, of course, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I think we could probably move on to something else. Let's see here. Um, Jason, do you have one you want to go with, or maybe Dean? Actually, let's go with Dean. Dean, well, go ahead and give us one of your moments.
2: Um, I am. Uh, let's see, struggling to uh, sign in here, so I'm not remembering what mine
0: are. Well, right here, how about <laughs> <laughs> I got your I got your list of stuff right here. How about almost a good dad for God of War? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. You know that
0: uh, I thought the God of War.
2: Beginning and ending were very well done, almost like, you know, the, the quality of the endings of The Last of Us uh, and, and the beginning and the ending. And, and that, that beginning was was written so tightly. Uh, and uh, I liked how, you know, <laughs> it introduces you to the father and the son and uh, they don't get along. Oh, and, you know, the, the dad says to the boy, um, don't be sorry, uh, be better. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, what a mean dad. You know, if your dad is the God of war, he's got to be the meanest dad out there. And he's like struggling not to slap you around. Right. And uh, but then, you know, they go through this experience. Uh, they go on a hunting trip for the first time. Kid uh, shoots his first deer. Um, and there's this moment where the dad, um, you know, reaches out to his, his left hand to sort of embrace the kid. Uh, but doesn't follow through with it, and he he just stops and um, <laughs> pulls his hand back, <laughs> and you go, boy, you know he's really struggling to give this kid any kind of human warmth, uh, I guess, and uh, and it was it, it told you so much about like what what is this struggle for for Kratos, and what is this relationship
1: about, and
2: um, uh, I thought it was a wonderful beginning for
1: a video game. Yeah, I kept but, thinking of farmer Hoggett for babe. And how like, just went over my head. He was a better. I thought he was a better, you know, gonna do one of those that will do pig moments with his <laughs> son. Oh. But he never did really. Yeah, so, they
2: tucked.
3: Their relationship was he, <laughs> he definitely improved as a father at the end, right? Like it was definitely a character arc. Like you saw him becoming like just the slightest bit tender. With his son, and they they definitely kind of reconcile their relationship a bit as as it goes on.
2: Yeah, I talked with uh, Corey Barlog, the the game designer, about this uh, in God of War, and he said that you know they they had to really scale back the meanness of, of Kratos in especially in the very beginning here because they didn't want it to be a, a perceived as a child abuse simulator. <laughs> And, uh, That's a good idea. So uh, yeah, uh, they had, had to, to, of those had to, had to the find that. Slapping him around, yeah, that fine line of you know, it's a stern father, but uh, somebody who's struggling uh, to change himself and to uh, you know take responsibility for his. his son mean, and
0: raising him. Your moment though, like conveyed so much, like uh, him just pulling back instead of like just patting his son on the back for a second like that's all (laughs) we really need to know right i mean yeah if he's if if that if he's not capable of that or if like that act like causes him some sort of pain like yeah we get it he's not a great dad so yeah they didn't need to like go go buck wild on having him be like a weird like yelling guy all the time uh just they just hit a a couple of those moments and they really do hit those really well
1: yeah i wonder if kratos's journey as a father kind of mirrors other people's journeys as fathers at the studio in, in how coming to terms with being the old fashioned father and trying to be, you know, today's father, which is much more open with emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Jason, why don't you go ahead and give us uh, one of yours? You are muted again. Hang on.
1: I am muted because I was, I was doing something else. So my first moment is going to be, um, I played the best Star Fox game this year. It's called Starlink: Battle of Atlas. Yeah, I heard that. It from really a it lot of is.
0: People.
1: Yeah, and um, it, it really captures. The, so Star Fox is in it, and it really captures the essence of, of flying a spaceship and the R wing um, for planet to planet in the solar systems in the systems. Um, it's it, it's got collectible toys too, but that that's not here. But it, it felt better to me than any. Star Fox, the flying felt better to me than any Star Fox game.
0: Yeah. W- w- was there like a particular moment? Was it w- when you just first took over Star Fox's ship?
1: Um, no, um, it, it was. It was in the first space battle. So it's a little further than that, but not but very close. And the controls just felt so nice and so tight. and And, and it felt like there was a little more oomph to it.
0: Yeah, I, I uh, I'm right there with you. Why when I, uh, I've been playing the game, I've been playing the Star Fox, and just uh, going from from each major moment to the next, uh, it's like, oh wow, this it just always feels so good to play this game. Um, they they really nailed that, and it does feel like this is one of the things that Nintendo could have done to make Star Fox feel modern and to feel relevant. Um, and, of course, it's Ubisoft that actually ended up making it, um, and that's fine. And I'm glad they got Star Fox and put them in there. It, it, it it's a really sure good seem fit. It seems to
3: be flying uh, under the radar a bit, though. It, I mean, people seem to be talking about it but a bit, but it certainly doesn't seem to be reflecting oh, yeah. sales numbers or anything like that.
0: Right. I, it, it really, I mean, it's getting ignored for sure. Uh, it came out right at that time. Like It feels like it came out uh, right when Red Dead was coming out. And I mean, well, you, I guess you could say, well, Red Dead's a mature game and Starlink is for kids. And it's definitely they definitely position this as like a family friendly game. Um, th- you know, there's a lot of crossover there where I think people who it, were buying and playing Red Dead could enjoy Starlink, but well, and the they just other didn't thing even too, notice it.
1: And the other thing, too, it came with a bunch of toys and they're not cheap. Uh, they're good toys. In fact, they work just as well outside of the um, of the game. My, my boys had a lot of fun just flying the ships around and having dogfights in the living room. Um, but to get the most out of the game, you, you, you want all these other weapons that come with the other ships. So it means you're going to have to buy more than just the base game that comes with the first set of um, equipment.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think you could probably get go buy... Um, just buy the base version of this game and still have a very good time and not even realize you need that stuff, because that's kind of where I've been. But I do think you're right in that people aren't wanting to get into another Toys to Life thing, even if they, even if you don't have to do that stuff, because they're just like, they're so turned off by that idea now and having a bunch of plastic stuff in their house, like... Uh, the people that did like that idea are probably feeling pretty burned because they probably have a bunch of Disney Infinity stuff like laying in their closet that, that they have nothing, do, nothing to do with anymore. Or they have a bunch of Amiibos that they're collecting that don't really do much, but they're just kind of sitting there and you don't want to get rid of them because they were hard to get in the first place. And so like, just that whole proposition is probably feeling yeah, like, oh, I, I don't want to deal
2: twice, with that. Toys to life, life was such a, a long sort of uh, struggle for, for the company's uh, – you know, they they brought back the thing that they had gotten rid of, which uh, was uh, uh, physical distribution, and they had to guess at how many of of these toys to manufacture just in time for Christmas. And if if they, you know, guessed wrong on that, uh, they got stuck with all this inventory, and it killed the profits of the whole thing. And you know, that, that's probably what killed uh, Disney Infinity. Um, and and so w- when you do it, you, it, it's a long slog, and you have to get it right. And uh, uh, Ubisoft, uh, you know, has a has a long road ahead of them. Uh, it, they have a long road, you know, to try this out. Uh, but but also, you know, it's not an easy business.
0: Yeah, still, that's a, it's a game where you, like they made it optional. I think that's smart and. Uh, anyone who's going to try it out is going to see kind of, Oh, this is just a good time. No matter what I bought it digitally. I don't have any of the toys at all. And I've, I've been having a great time and I'm still playing in Star Fox. So it works out pretty well. Um, okay. Let's see here. Uh, who, who hasn't gone? Dean, you've gone. I think, okay. Yeah. We've gone around the horn. I think I'll go again then. Um, yeah. Okay. I like this one. Um, the, Oh, there are good game people. Wait, that's not right. Oh, there are good people in games award. Uh, this is for Microsoft and overall it's for its Microsoft adaptive controller, which is that controller that, um, is built for, uh, people with disabilities and it has all of the ports and, and add on potential to make it re- really adapt to anyone and their needs. Um, specifically though, the, the big, uh, adaptive, com- uh, controller commercial that they aired. Um, I can't remember what they played it during, but it was like this, uh, it might've been the game awards. They might've sh- debuted it there. Maybe it was around that time. Um, but it was just this really, really touching commercial about, um, this kid going through the neighborhood saying, Oh, he's about to do it. He's about to do it. And he's getting all these other kids to come over and watch his friend with the, who has disabilities playing through this game and like kind of setting this high score using the adaptive controller. And um, we, we found out later that those that the kid running through the neighborhood and the and the other kid that was playing the game, uh, they're real life friends and stuff. And they, they, they you know, really do kind of play games together all the time. And the adaptive controller has made it easier for them to play more games together. Uh, and that is really cool. And like I said, it was just it was really touching. And it was nice to um, it was nice to see Microsoft not just make this controller, but sort of get to a point where they're proud to promote it. And they are. Saying this is kind of what we're about. We're not we're not just kind of doing this as a side thing. This is a, a core to our to, to, to the soul of what Microsoft and gaming is. Yeah, and I went up there and
2: visited this uh, this lab, this uh, uh, you know place they permanently created within Microsoft uh, to do projects like this. And that it was you know doing the interviews there, talking to people who were a uh, part of creating it, uh, who were also uh, either had limited mobility or disabled in some way, uh, being a part of that is, is very moving experience, very touching uh, to see them uh, take such a big bet on it and invest so much of, you know, everything that the company is good at uh, from like packaging design to, um, to actual design of the controller and the product and, um, uh, so that they they took in all this feedback and and you know turned it into a real platform uh, for other things that had been created uh, to plug into uh, so that you could accommodate uh, so many more kinds of people with uh, all all kinds of different struggles uh, uh, who you know in some way either can't you know push the sticks or can't press the buttons or you know can't move around so much you um, uh, it's really uh, uh, kind of an amazing uh, project for uh, you know a for-profit company to do.
1: Yeah, the first time yeah, I saw absolutely. that commercial you're talking about, Jeff, was on Sunday Night Football
0: after okay. the game. Oh, well, yeah, so a really big uh, d- debut stage for that for that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, my wife loved it. My children loved what seeing it, and um, you know, Microsoft. Uh, you know, p- people look at Microsoft and say, oh, you know, where's their games? Where's their games? Where's their games this year? But Microsoft's done a lot of really smart moves this year. But I think the best thing they've done has been this controller.
0: It's at least the thing that they can be the most proud of, for sure. Um, you know, it's it's not going to do anything for, um, like, winning any battles against Sony. And it's not going to affect their bottom line. But it's going to...
1: Oh, I think it, it, you know, if they market it right, they say, you know, Sony... Is it making anything for you, for anyone who has trouble with a regular controller, anyone who has disabilities?
2: Yeah, they, you know? they actually said that, uh, you know, there could be a billion people in the world who have some kind of either permanent or temporary disability. And uh, there, there's a there's a lot of uh, potential people that they could bring into the world of games uh, through this kind of device.
0: Yeah, I, 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 there's definitely all that potential there. And um, but but I think the bigger thing here is it just it is about them setting a tone and creating a, a, a story of of what Xbox gaming is. Um, they can point to when people say, like, what what are you guys trying to do? They can happily point to this and just say, this is our place in gaming. No one else is doing this. And we are. And not only are we doing it, we have the resources and the talent to do it right. And in a way that is going to last and be open, and it's just like it's it's there for anyone to to add on to however they want, and yeah, that's a th- it's it's a powerful message, and it's and when you start coupling coupling that with, and now here are all the fruits of our labor of, of acquiring all these studios or starting new studios, and look at all these great games. It just helps to lend credence to the message of Microsoft matters to gaming in a way that um that they haven't. Uh, uh as as much in the last couple years just because of the lack of, of first-party software um okay who's got one who wants to go next you guys
3: are,
0: yeah mike why don't you give us one of yours
3: i'll fight for this opportunity um i guess yeah so i guess my next one is uh sort of vr finally getting something that seems like a killer app uh like a, a game that could actually be game of the Year contender and that's with astrobot uh Rescue Mission for PlayStation VR, which is just a super delightful 3D platformer where, like, the 3D platforming stuff is great, but also, like, it makes a lot of sense as a VR game. It does a lot of really cool and clever stuff with just that aspect of it. So it, it, it seems like this is, like, one of the first games you'd be like, you should maybe consider getting a VR headset just so you can play this game, whereas before you would maybe have to kind of point to a lot of other games, like, like, a multiple games. So well, you could play this and this and this, and they're all pretty good.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, for for me, like something like AstroBot, it is something that you can recommend to people who love games. Like when someone's like, "Oh, I, I you know, I'm I'm happy with my PlayStation 4 as it is. Um, what would I get a PlayStation VR for?" Um, before AstroBot, you're right, it was pretty hard. I think if it like, th- I think the typical person could go in and have like a really good time with something like Beat Saber um, a- and a bunch of other stuff. Like, I, I mean, I just have a good time. I think I like Beat Saber more. I like Astrobot, um, yeah, but but like what you said there about it, like being a contender for game of the year, like there's validity to that because it is a game, like it's a video game, it's the way we have played video games for a long time. It's this 3D platformer, and it just uses VR in a bunch of clever ways and makes you feel really cool sitting in that space. Um, and that is, and when you say like it's, um A killer app. This is the kind of thing that people imagine when you say that phrase. It's not something like Beat Saber, where it's like, oh, it's this experience, and you're going there and you're doing this like sort of rhythmic uh, VR Jedi dancing and stuff like that. And it's very different from what you consider a a traditional, you know, core game to be. I mean,
3: I was a total VR miser like going into this year. I, I, you know, I did not like VR. I did not think I was ever going to get a headset like this kind of generation of. I thought it would take like the next kind of wave of these things but you know hearing all the buzz about astrobot i was interested and then i actually got one for my birthday with uh, with astrobot a PlayStation vr and it was like oh yeah this is fantastic this is super fun this is a game i think just about everybody would like
1: now mike you know Yo. you, you, platformers are your thing would this game work outside of vr or do you think it's been also tailor-made no, to it needs what VR could do.
3: It needs VR. It's not like that Lucky's Tale game, which I played when my brother got a VR headset. and wasn't impressed with. Like they basically just made that for Xbox One later. Uh, if you did, you couldn't make this for PlayStation 4 without kind of losing a big part of what sort of made it special.
0: Yeah, they, they, people ask that question a lot, and it feels like, and my thing now is like. If you ask that question about uh, Super Mario 64, would it be as fun if you put it in 2D instead of 3D? And it just doesn't make sense. Like, the game is a VR game. It The, the things it's doing require VR to function. Um, and if you took away VR, you would be taking away a lot of its gameplay and its, its mechanics and the way you interact with the world. So yeah, it it definitely needs VR, but that's a good thing. It's, it's using VR in, in clever ways.
2: That's uh, a bit how I feel about uh, uh, Dr. Grodbort's invaders on the Magic Leap one. And, uh, you know, they... uh, they, they pull off a similar sort of only in augmented reality can you do this kind of thing where uh, the, the robots that you're shooting uh, can hide in you know, your furniture or they're partially occ- occluded by things in, in your real world environment. And so you can't really do this kind of thing um, outside of AR. Uh, so uh, I kind of have a sort of similar feeling about that game as you guys do about, uh, about this one
0: yeah I, i'll have to i'll have to try that thing I've, I've still never even put on an ar headset so we'll we'll see someday you got
1: a couple thousand bucks
0: <laughs> yeah no thanks I Need 300 you guys can get me one for christmas how about that you know that's um, why
1: you know anyone talking about what magically could do it's like okay yeah well you know how much money do you need no thanks yeah you know, i mean it's just for a developer let's let, let's wait till they get a consumer version out
0: yeah it's definitely like there's a lot of potential there but we'll we'll see um okay. Uh let's see. I think uh Dean or Jason, either of you guys got one you wanna go next? How I about go. Dean? Oh no, Jason, yes, please. I go. go.
1: So um you know, horizontal platform for- forming through the air is cool. Um in Celeste you kinda do this dash jump. Um mm-hmm. what uh, when when you're in midair Man- And the first time I did it, oh boy, was that hard. I'm not good at platforms through- followers at all i you know i play strategy games and role-playing games and other things like that um but once i nailed it it felt so good and it it was you know kind of like a revelatory moment for me it's one of my favorite moments of the year in games now mike and, and jeff you guys play a lot more platformers than i do what did you guys think of that
0: yeah it was definitely something where i was um it didn't take long to get used to. And then also I could still like see how it was going to take a while to master. And uh, that was always a difficult game. And as you were going, it just kept getting more difficult, but it was always also teaching you how to use that tool, you know, in particular um, to overcome any obstacle it would throw at you. And I I remember, I'm remembering the, like the windy levels, the windy stages and how you would have to really use that dash into the wind to get as far as possible. Cause you could just barely make these jumps and, and sort of figuring like how to best or like the, the most optimal route to go from jump to dash to diagonal dash to jump or whatever. And, uh, and really sort of solving those puzzles was always super satisfying.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love Celeste and just kind of the big part of it is how great the movement feels. Like that's kind of, I mean, just the cleverness of the level design is a big part, but just the movement feels so satisfying
0: in that game. And, um, Dean, let's go with you now. Uh, you got, did you ever get the doc open? Do you need to, uh, read your next one? You're still yeah, muted? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah.
2: Good job, Dean. So maybe the, the magic leap one, since I talked about that a bit, uh, and I had, the uh, I had very high expectations for, for some of this, like, uh, you know, how they hired Neil Stevenson, uh, the you know, writer of Snow Crash and the, the guy who came up with the, the metaverse and uh, the inspiration for all the virtual worlds from Second Life uh, onward. Um, and, you know, he, he, he believes that uh, something like Magic Leap is the, the way to get there and to, to, you know, really start bringing this all together. And so he appeared on stage at uh, the Magic Leap one's uh, uh, Magic Leap uh, developer conference and um you know was kind of excited to to hear him and uh, get inspired uh, about uh, about our future like our ready player one sort of future and uh instead he he got up there and he talked for like 15 minutes or so straight on uh simulating goats in the augmented reality world and it was it was completely like oddball weird and and such a poor use of somebody who could have been such a interesting spokesman for you know what magic leap is trying to do with things like spatial computing and you know artificial intelligence uh, agents uh, and uh, you know people who can help you know our help helpers uh, you know vir- virtual helpers in, in the world and um you know uh, I don't know. It's just like a, 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 It was a big come down, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't think it went over so well with uh, most audiences that were watching this thing on the stream as well. It's like, what is
0: Neil talking about? Yeah, that that whole event was very odd. It was um, uh, they it was it felt like it was supposed to be their big coming out party. Like, okay, the magic leap is here, and we're gonna talk about it. And we're gonna like really. Ah, uh, explain to you why it's important, and why and how we've raised so much money because this is why it's worth that much money. Like they've raised something like a half billion dollars or something. Well,
2: they raised uh, two point four billion dollars, which was you know okay. Crazy, so yeah, crazy
0: a, it's a crazy amount of money. Yeah, and then they came out, and that entire thing felt like it was a weird cult. Ah, uh, for a lot of it, they had like really weird um graphic design in the background. And these people just coming out and talking about feelings and, and these metaphysical concepts instead of anything like there was no real talk of anything as a product. It was very strange. Um, Yeah.
2: I mean, the most,
0: one of the weirdest, one of those things I've ever, I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. I mean, the most interesting demo that I saw was of a a digital human uh, that they called Micah. And uh, you know, she was a woman who tracked your eye movements and her eyes followed your eyes. And, um, you know, she didn't speak, uh, but she, she smiled back or she pointed at things. And, you know, they, they later explained that this, this idea of, uh, uh, you know, people um, uh, kind of uh, embodying something like Amazon Alexa. And uh, you can ask them things and they would answer back or they already, uh, you know, knew a lot of things about you and and can sort of um you know i don't know capture you know interesting moments for you and play them back that sort of thing it was uh was really kind of fascinating but they you know again they didn't they didn't uh uh make this connection between some of their most interesting people like neil stevenson and what they could do with this kind of thing
0: yeah for sure um Yeah. Okay. I think we can go back around the horn one more time. So I'll, I'll take it from the top. Let's, um, let's do this one. Uh, the John Maynard Keynes award uh, for (laughs) video game economics. Uh, This one is uh, for the game eco and the moment where I, uh, basically I I decided to uh, destroy our economy because I wasn't getting my way. Mostly is what happened. Um, I was in this game. Eco is basically Minecraft, but with a a lot more systems Um, It it also simulates ecology and economics. So there is like a a, a living ecosystem of animals and plants. And if you were to overforest like one area, uh, the forest would no longer grow back there. And then there would be less oxygen in the atmosphere and and that sort of thing. Um, What we were doing is we had about 13, 14 people in there and we were starting to build stores and I was one of the people sort of pushing us to get onto a currency of any kind. And at the beginning of the game, all you can really do is get onto uh, basically store currencies where if you have a store, your store can have your own currency, um, which is you know basically like I would have an infinite number of this currency because I can print as much of my own money as I want. Um, so it's a really like unstable currency because I could really mess it up at any time. So what we were aiming to do was eventually get to uh, a, a gold-backed, gold-backed standard currency, where you you could print it, but each one you print, you have to put a little bit of gold in there, and then it has this sort of intrinsic value in the world. Um, when we were trying to make that transition, though, uh, there was an argument about whether or not we should just give everyone the same amount of money equally so that we could stimulate the economy, which is what I wanted, um, and what John Maynard Keynes would have wanted, and or if we should try to look and see who has the most of like different, uh, store, store currencies and who has the most resources and try to hand out money equivalent to that. Basically saying like, we're going to you know see who's winning and let them keep winning. Cause we're going to make this change and that would be more fair or something. Um, my argument was that we should give everyone the same because we want to make sure that this new currency takes off and can replace all the old stuff quickly. And everyone could feel good about starting to get into this economy because not everyone was even using the currencies, but from before um, it was like one of these things that we discovered while playing was, yeah, some people are going to be okay with like taking contracts off the board and trying to get some money from this, from this system. But other people were going to just be like, no, we're going to stick to bartering. We don't want to be a part of this thing. But if you give everyone some money, they'll quickly be like, "Well, I'm going to spend this," and then they'll see how much simpler that is, and they'll want to get into the process. When I got pushback on this idea, though, because I controlled so much of this currency, what I did was I devalued my currency by issuing everyone as much as I possibly could. So we went from having like a few people with a couple hundred Jeff Grub bucks to everyone basically being a billionaire. But then the currency was also completely worthless. So I just destroyed my economy and in that and, and in turn that destroyed the entire games economy and a few people got mad at me and it was a whole thing but then on the other side we came out and everyone got the same amount of money so i got what i wanted in the end and it was just this um it was this incredible thing where i don't think this entire thing that happened this thing that we created and and, and destroyed and built up uh, could happen in anything else except for a video game like that's were these, the people, it's were these people like video game
3: mad at you or are they like actually mad at you?
0: uh there was a couple people video game mad at me and there was one guy actually mad at me <laughs> <laughs> the one guy was actually mad at me though was is a good friend who I've known for a long time so that's okay I get it like yeah like we, we have that sort of relationship um yeah it, 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 but it was um it's not I don't think you could do this um you couldn't like convey the things that we were. The actions that we were taking, the verbs that we were doing um, in sort of some just in a board game, even you couldn't do it in a movie or a book, like you could talk about these concepts, but you couldn't experience the act of playing these concepts. It was, it opened my mind and kind of made me realize like, oh, games could be way more than I even thought they could be. And it, you know, they can also be super instructive while also being really fun by introducing these these uh, ideas of economic playstyles into a video game where mostly we've just sort of tried to keep those things as simple as possible in games so that it wouldn't overwhelm players. But what I found out was uh, no, that's totally like the most fun I had in any game this entire year. I want more of that stuff. So yeah, definitely, definitely a really kind of an important moment for me, but like a very, very re- revelatory moment as well. Um, Okay, let's move on from that one. I uh, I only have one left, so I, I see you guys have a couple. Let's get back to Mike. Mike, you've got a few here.
3: Uh, every, Microsoft buying everyone seemed like a pretty big, uh, important yes, moment right. this year. I mean, it started at E3 with them uh, you know, getting uh, pe- people like uh, the Ninja Theories and uh, Playground and stuff like that. And then it just kind of kept going throughout the year. They, they got Obsidian um, – what well, the, the other RPGs? Yeah, exile. And in it's in just exile. like yeah. they are so clearly planning for uh, you know going forward. And it was it was kind of a constant criticism of them that Sony has so many better first person like first party exclusives. And it's interesting to see them actually get ahead of that problem pretty quickly.
0: You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of um of Netflix, and Netflix when it started making its own uh movies and television shows and stuff like that and and when Microsoft introduced Game Pass and it clearly Game Pass clearly took off I think they realized wait this this is a, a good thing but it's never going to work unless we have our own content we need to control our own content to really get the most value from this thing um and when they decided to make all of their first party games launch day and date on Game Pass and then they started buying all those studios I'm like okay yeah this is this is where their future's at their their future is not necessarily just selling you a game for sixty dollars. They want people to subscribe to Game Pass, and this is how they're going to keep people doing that.
2: Yeah, and I, I guess um, like I always thought over the years that um, you know Microsoft was outnumbered by Sony two to one when it comes to in house game developers. And uh, you always could predict how the console war would ordinarily go uh, if uh, Sony had twice as many exclusives as Microsoft did, right? And so it was like a structural problem that they had never addressed or never realized they needed to address. And so they started buying things, like when they bought Minecraft, right? Um so, uh
0: but it was even, you know, more. it was more than it. that. I think they, they thought they didn't need first party developers. I don't they, like, it wasn't that they didn't realize that they didn't or that they didn't need it. It's they thought they didn't. Cause um I remember Phil Spencer a few years ago was talking about like, you know, first party games sell and these exclusives, they, they sell, but think about the games people play the most. There are these ongoing online games, um, that, you know, like Minecraft or like a rainbow six siege, um, you know, World of Warcraft, these games that people play ongoing for a long time. And I think their idea was, you know, it's hard to predict which one of those are, are, is going to be the next big thing next, so we probably shouldn't even really try. We should just make the services around those games possible so that people will want to play on our stuff. And And I think what they clearly, clearly what they got wrong was, okay, yeah, all that's true, but also... You need to like build up your brand with exclusives, and and they just completely missed the mark on that.
2: So Sony shows up with these games like The Last of Us or with uh, you know God of War, and you know after six years of work on, on God of War, then it finally lands and kaboom! <laughs> you know it's
0: like right, wow.
2: Closer to your mic, Dean.
0: Yeah, Mike, can you get? A, or yeah, Dean, can you get a little bit closer to your mic uh, next time? Um. Okay, so we did that one. Let's move over to actually, Dean. Why don't you give us one of your? Yeah, you got one left. Let's do the the three amigos. How about that?
2: Yeah, the three (laughs) amigos. uh, That was uh, you know Reggie from Nintendo and Sean Layden from Sony and Phil Spencer from Microsoft all showing up on stage together at the Game Awards, and uh, you know it was like a rare moment uh, of togetherness uh, uh, among these fierce competitors. Uh, who I had not seen th- on stage together since, the I think, the very first year I went to E3 and started covering games intensively. And that was in the 1990s. And it was funny back then because...
1: It wasn't these three, of course. Yeah, it wasn't no, these three. It was uh,
2: Peter, Peter Main from Nintendo was there and Kaz Hirai from Sony. And, and Robbie Bach from Microsoft. And Robbie was the new kid on the block, and he was, you know, talking about something enthusiastically. And, um, and Kaz had this really condescending comment. <laughs> it was something like, uh, watch and learn. You know, and Pete, oh Peter, <laughs> Peter main uh, was kind of uh, piling on as well on, on Robbie, the, the poor guy who didn't really understand the game business the way they did. And, um, uh, it was kind of funny to watch and it was no surprise. They never did it again. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Big surprise. Yeah. And this was, um, you know, this was just a, come on, introduce the show. Just, it was a, a fluffy sort of moment. Um, yeah, they didn't but didn't it was really still not, it much, was still very know, it was still very cool to see but um I, I um i i don't know i guess i i would have liked them to like just like say a little bit more maybe about um, i mean what would they this? say yeah yeah like and i no mean I you know, know you gotta have talked about crossplay <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean not even that just like uh i uh, maybe just set the tone a little bit for uh, against um Responding so much to fan backlash against everything because it—I know they can't really comment I mean, on it. They can't. It like they,
1: have to, yeah. they have to. Remember, they love the passion. Though.
0: They love yeah. the passion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but you know, that.
1: You, you you know, you know, Mike Moorheim could talk about fan backlashes at Blizzard. You know, these guys can too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. Mike Morheim's reti- like retired now or stepping down. So, like, yeah, it's easier for I, him I, to do I, it. I, I guess, guess they
2: didn't you know, necessarily have a real purpose, right? They just did it. And yeah, it was, it was, just fun- a, it was, was funny that Jeff me. Jeff Keeley had been asking them to do it for like five years. And it, it, it took five years for this to happen and they don't really say that much. Right. Well I don't know. I, mean, I
3: think just having them up there is enough. I think it, it maybe it's just maybe it's just because I'm older and I don't spend as much time in the dark corners of the internet, but I feel like console wars aren't aren't as much a thing as they used to be. I feel like you don't run across as many like diehard Sony people, diehard Microsoft people. I think stuff like this will kind of deflate that even more.
0: Yeah. And if, if, if that was their goal, if they're just like, hey, we're all just kind of out here just trying to make products for you. You don't have to make a big deal about it. They can accomplish that by just coming out and appearing on stage together and that's it. And so, yeah. Um, it, it, it was nice like there was nothing bad about the moment it was just it, it was what it was and um it was sort of interesting to finally just see that happen um okay so moving on from the three amigos how about we get jason going how about you give us uh i think your last one yeah
1: so mine is nostalgia is real this is for the bard's tale four uh the bard's tale was my jam uh You know, I was always more magic in the Bard's Tale for computer role-playing games than I was Ultima and Wizardry. And when the Bard's Tale 4 came out this year, um, the thing that really got me, and we, we saw it in videos and we saw it in alpha versions, et cetera, et cetera. But when you first were down beneath the city of Scarabray into old Scarabray, which is mapped one for one almost to the Scarabray from the first Bard's Tale game, And you're going through it, and you find the streets. And then there's this one street in the original game called Sinister Street that's just never-ending. And um, you have to do a little thing to get through it in this game, and you you find out there's actually a secret down there. And to me, that was just like, oh, that's so cool, seeing that moment. And I really enjoyed that. And it's really nice to get a game where you have a callback to something, not five years or ten years, but, you know, something back to 1986.
0: Uh, yeah, that, those, and those that series seems like it's uh, really, you know, the right series to do something like that with. Because the people st- still showing up for those games are going to have those memories and are going to want people to say, hey, we remember that too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I, I like that kind of stuff for sure. Um, uh, Jason, if I wanted to like try the Bard's Tale, where should I start?
1: Well, you you could either start with the Bard's Tale 4, Sparrow's Deep, which is uh, the new one. And it, it changes, you know, combat. It, you know, it's it's a modern type of combat. It's turn-based, but it's on a grid, and two rows of people, and it's. But the exploration is very similar, and it's got very good, some very difficult puzzles. Or you, you could go to the Bart's Tale Remastered, which is a uh, the original three games remastered for more easier to get around experience. Now the game difficulty hasn't been decrease that much. You can make it a little easier, but it has save states so you can save anywhere instead of just having to go back to one place to save.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. You said that all three are in that are in the Bard's Tale remastered. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's really cool. Um, okay. So I think me and Mike both have a couple left. Um, Mike, I'm going to have you start here. Uh, why don't you pick one of your two?
3: Okay. Uh, so kind of just one that's just fun for me is the sort of everyone is here moment with the uh, big Smash Brothers Ultimate trailer from E3. Just kind of like, I just love the way this trailer was put together where they're like, oh, we're showing you all the characters in this game. You kind of slowly realize like, like this is like practically everybody. And then like what snake is it, which like was one you really doubted they would be able to get back in. And then they are basically just like everyone is here. And then like, you kind of just see that become the tagline for this game. It was just a really hype trailer. It was like the one thing that got me. I'm going to be real excited for a Smash Bros. game, but I got really excited for this game after that.
0: Yeah, it was kind of like they knew exactly who the audience was. Uh, at what point did you realize? Like, was it like when they finally said everyone was here that they were going to have everyone, or was it like it, it like, was then? Yeah,
3: not really till then. At first, I was like this, like we were we were in our Airbnb at E3, and I'm writing my story on this, and I'm like all right, help me out. What are all the names Just say? them Cause I'm writing every name. Like these are the characters in the game. And then finally it's like snake. I'm like, Whoa, they got snake really. And then it's like, everyone's here. And I'm like, Oh, it's just everybody. Literally. Cool. Well,
0: it, it does seem like that was like the thing that they, like the best thing they could have said for this game, uh, just based on what it is. Um, Were you at all disappointed in like, oh, they didn't, they weren't going to, they aren't going to change things up too much because they're just making the ultimate (laughs) version of Smash Brothers or is this like exactly the. No, in fact,
3: I kind of, I guess this is something I didn't dispute you enough last time. I think they surprisingly changed a lot of things. I mean, almost every character, I mean, the way that they play is different. Aesthetically, they're a little different. Some of them have new moves. I mean, it's almost more change then you might... I mean, it's about as much change per, on a per-character basis as we saw from a Brawl to Smash 4. Maybe some of that stuff you're isn't you're like right. it's, a, it's a
0: fighting game sequel. It's to, it totally is a fighting game sequel, and it, it, it would qualify... It would be like the same amount of changes like a um, Street Fighter 4 to Street Fighter 5. Y- yeah, that's fair.
1: Uh, I, um, I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, My copy is going to be for my kids, and I'm wrapping it up today for Christmas to put it under the tree, Cause I really wanted to give them something like this. Cause they are really looking forward to playing it. And I wanted to give them something like this, that they're going to be just so amazed to get, and then just throw into the switch. Um, when we're done opening presents.
3: There you go. can have mm-hmm. fun going through that single player mode and playing each other and all sorts of things.
0: Yeah, Why, and me, Really good, good time. And I, the, for kids, like uh, having all, all those characters to unlock would be, it, that seems like it'd be really fun, a really good way to spend your time. Um, Another good way to spend your time is solving the deaths in Oberden. Um I, so Ooh. Return of the Oberden is a it's it, like I guess it, it, an insurance adjuster claims adjuster game. Like you play as a claims adjuster and you're going on this ship and you're going through these memories and you have to use these still frames of these memories to go work backwards as to figuring out like who these people are and how they died and who who killed them or or what killed them. Um, and you have to do this for, like, 60 people on this ship. And and you start out the game not really understanding, like, how you're going to accomplish any of this. And then the, you get the first set of, of people. And, and it's relatively simple. But then, like, the next set, it, it, the difficulty jumps up quite a lot. And you start realizing, like, there's way more information in these scenes than you first suspected. Like, you can look at people and you can look at where they are on the ship. And you can look at their clothing. And you can look at what they're holding. And you can look at where they're looking at and who they're looking at uh, and the expression on their face and, and all these stuff from these like still 3d images that you can move around. And when you, you start piecing these different, these different uh, pieces of evidence together, it it creates this really satisfying moment where you're like, wait, I know exactly who this is and who killed them and how. And, and when you go in and go into the little notepad and you put all that information in and, and, if you do this in a series of threes, it, it will say whether or not you got it. And when it confirms like, oh yeah, you got all three of these people, right. It's just this really satisfying moment of just using logic and, and kind of giving or and taking what the game gives you to figure things out. And it was super, super satisfying. Um, a game that I'm still playing, like as we're recording these, um, but really still having a really great time with that. Um,
1: you, you know, my first thought when I was playing through it, cause I don't know about you, but as you're trying to solve these murders, it feels a little creepy at first.
0: Oh, for sure. But I mean like,
1: and, and when the ship comes back before you, you, you kind of get it all under, you know, you know, when the, it's like, Oh, you're going out to the Obra dead. It reminded me of event horizon for some good reason. Now, of course that feeling faded well, for, for
0: good point. reasons. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But when you first go out to the ship, that's what it reminded me of.
0: That, that is another good moment though, later, like when you first get to the, um, the doom chapter, uh, and you, Look out. And I mean, do, do you guys care if I spoil this a little bit? Just I'll do it real quick. I don't
1: care. No, go ahead. Because I think I've probably played through it.
0: Yes. So the the, the Doom chapter is like you kind of work backwards uh, in these chapters, kind of figure out like you figure out like the last moments of the last people dying on the ship first. And then you sort of work backwards slowly. And and the, like the first set of people are dying because they're in this fight and there's like a mutiny and they're trying to take over the ship. But then you work backwards and work backwards, and you kind of see like where things started going wrong, and it's like this giant sea monster attacking the ship, and then there's there's, like these um these like sea creatures that like have like spider legs and woman like these uh, female bodies coming out of the ocean and killing people and stabbing them with their giant claws, and it's just like whoa what the hell is going on like because you weren't expecting this most of the deaths had been pretty normal up to that point. And then all of a sudden, like they're, they're in these epic battles with these uh, insane demonic creatures. And it's just, it's, it's really cool. And it's, and it doesn't ever feel like, um, fantasy, like, a, like, it doesn't feel like fantasy tropes. It feels like the kinds of stories that sailors would have told each other like that. It feels like that's the story that you are, uh, uncovering here. It's very, very cool. It feels,
1: it feels, you know, like it's winking at, um, Cthulhu.
0: Yes, definitely. Yes, it, it, it has that sort of um, edge to 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 its storytelling. Um, Mike, do you want to go? You, you go, and then I'll finish you up with my last one. All right.
3: Yeah, sure. Mine was just kind of um, I, I kind of wrote it as the uh, the black gay furry esports player moment of the year award, <laughs> uh, which goes to Sonic Fo- Sonic Fox uh, winning the esports player of the year at Game. Oh, man, he, Game
0: that's a big that's a big upset for him. I didn't think he was going to win that one.
3: Right? but uh yeah it was this uh it was just, it was this nice moment, but it was also cool uh, you know, for one thing, yeah, he's like all these different kind of like you know s- smaller groups, right And he's like mm. very but he's like very he's also he has this energy and a charisma too that's like, oh, this is like so many times these esports players are kind of bland, they're kind of funvolent. they're like they're fun to watch, but you don't really care about their personalities And Sonic Fox is personable. he is interesting and he's really good and having him on the stage it almost like we already knew he was he already was a known quantity this kind of already elevated him some more and it just seemed like an important moment at the game awards and i, I kind of just love that in general too that at the game awards there were important moments like this and uh, those guys right. on the stage together like last year the, the biggest moment was some guy saying the f-word so i just think Good that point. was an improvement yeah.
1: for the awards this year how could it not like 50's. his smile i mean he was so happy and very genuine and his speech was was excellent it was definitely the best speech we've heard all year in gaming
0: yeah it was um it was one of those things where you like you realize jeff keeley could have just glazed over this and made it one of those awards he gave gives away in like those small packages where he's like and that goes to the esports coach of the year and it's like it could have been one of those but they decided to do, to do this one on stage and it was the right decision and sonic fox gets up there and he's just like you know I'm, I'm i'm black gay and a furry basically everything republicans hate and he's just not afraid to just kind of come out and say that stuff it's something like he's just not afraid he's like really really proud of who he is and 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 like stands up straight and just sort of says all of that with a smile like you said jason and it's really magnetic and he like in that moment like he like took over twitter like everyone was like just like hell yeah this dude owns it was so it was so much fun to just be in that moment and kind of enjoy Sonic Fox with everyone else. Cause he, he really is a cool dude. Um, yeah. So I think let's go ahead and finish this one up. I have, uh, my last one and I, I don't have a name for it, but it's kind of stuff we talked about in the past a little bit, but this one is, uh, moments of fans overreacting or, or just fans sort of using their power as collective consumers to, Harass and get what they want or to let developers know that they're really mad about something. Um, we saw this over and over and over. Uh, the, the the examples we have written down here are with uh, Diablo Immortal, Battlefield Five, and uh, most recently, the Spider-Man Raimi costume, uh, the Sam Raimi costume that they were going to put in there and then they did put in there. and But there was some doubt, so fans were yelling at the developer to listen to them. And it was a whole thing. Um, the... When I, when I think about like things that are important to games, like this is the kind of thing that comes to mind, because it just feels like we are at a point where gamers are realizing they, they can get what they want. And maybe it started with Battlefront 2, and they wielded that power multiple times this year. And it makes me uncomfortable, uh, because it just feels like this is the only way gamers will get what they want, or at least that's what they think. And so they they're just going to keep doing it until it stops right. working, which might be never.
3: It's yeah, it's weird because it seems very it, it it seems very petty and oftentimes childish. Like when these people get as upset as they do about video games, but then it works, and it's like, yeah. uh, does that make it okay? I don't
0: right. know. Yeah, I mean, like, and 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 like you said, like the 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 people that run these companies will come out and say, Oh, we love the passion. We love the passion. A- and then they do what the the people are saying. So they're at the very least, they're giving the signals that um, this is how you get what you want. This is going to work. This is going to work. It is going to have the effect that you want. Um, and if if you do that, you are guaranteeing that it's going to continue to happen in the future. Um, and
1: you know, what's uh, worse is they're not even, you know, fans who grab like this, the idea of not buying it doesn't even occur to them. They just buy it and then they complain. And oftentimes they're even pre-ordering this stuff and they could have much more of effect. Really, if they really wanted to have power, they just would stop buying the thing that's offending them, but they don't.
0: Yeah. And even if like, even when they're not, even if it wouldn't necessarily get the results that they want, um, they would be happier. I mean, wouldn't they, If, if you hate the, like, if you hate Fallout 76 so much, um, you don't have to spend all your time yelling at Bethesda about it. You could just not play it and play any of the other games that you are super into. Like just go do that. Like that would be so much better for you. Um but th- they are very much I think p- people are very much intoxicated with the power that they realize that they have now. Um and and, and, and you know it's a, and it's a power that like we were talking about uh but in, in the last episode be- about like unions. Like when if developers were to un- unionize, they would have a similar level of pow- of power but they don't. Gamers don't have to unionize. They just have to make a a big enough stink because there's so many of them and they can completely take over a news cycle and and control the messaging that the publisher can't ignore them. And and so they have to do what they want, just because that they have that much power when they work, work together in the same direction.
1: So do we have a, do we have a role in this? You know, should we stop covering these fan backlashes and giving them the attention they're craving?
2: No, I I think what we do is is we explain to them, um, you know, uh, you know what, what what reality really is, right? And um, you know the, the you know we we talked in a, a way celebrating uh, Microsoft's inclusiveness, uh, but but to to be a fan in a very anti-inclusive way is is so counterproductive because of what it leads to. Right, and if you say that all mobile games are trash or they're microtransaction-y and uh, never play them, um, sort of uh, doesn't it doesn't recognize that mobile games are half the market now and they're becoming bigger, and they provide the money for a franchise uh, that doesn't come in uh, just from purely doing a PC and a console game. And um, they they have this fear that that's all they're going to get from now on is the micro transaction uh, free to play mobile games uh, when in fact, what what can happen is that those games generate uh, a lot of the money or the bulk of the money, and they go back into feeding the core franchise and its future development uh, or the development of of new future uh, franchises. I mean uh, if we look at our reality today, you know. Um, 500 people are working on Star Citizen and Squadron 42 over at Cloud Imperium, and that company is valued at $500 million. Well, Zynga just today bought a mobile game company that has 47 people in Helsinki for $560 million for 80% of it, right? And that's because it's generating cash like crazy. Uh, and that that cash uh, comes back and gets fed into the game industry. And uh, makes the games more accessible to more people. And what is wrong with that? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, not, it's not leading to the extinction of PC games or hardcore games or uh, console games. It is leading to the spread of gaming all over the place to 7 billion people. And and this is what I don't get about, you know, why, why the fans are so outraged uh, that there's this other out there, which is the mobile gamer.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I could see the, um, I could see the, the, the lineage, the path in people's heads where they go from, if Diablo Immortal comes out and it is super successful and it's way more successful than a Diablo floor could have been or would have been in terms of how much money it makes. Um, then, then, you know, with maybe they just don't put as much effort into Diablo four. And then maybe the next game, instead of, instead of the next game being on PC Maybe that just goes right to mobile instead as well. And I I could see the slippery slope that they're imagining in their head, but you're right that it doesn't work that way. Um, For the most part, what happens is these companies want to be diversified and they want to be in all of these spaces because that's the most responsible thing to do. If you have a lot of money that you need to put into making video games, you're not going to put all your eggs in one basket. The, The mobile gold rush is over. So if you're making a mobile game now, you're doing it for a very specific reason and a very specific audience uh and and it's not going to take away that much from your other your other businesses it just wouldn't it wouldn't work that way but like the 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 things that the people get angry about are um they they range from something like that all the way to a developer just tweeting something s- sort of dismissive uh to another to a gamer to a fan and then and then like all of these people jumping on that that that, that developer typically because she's a woman um to trying to get, the, get them get them fired, and this uh, where this this was at um, Arena Net, right, where that happened, um, and then something similar happened at Riot, where um, where developers at Riot were trying to, to uh, defend a woman only tournament, and they were basically calling their the fans a bunch of yeah man babies or whatever, and the fans got mad and got them fired, um, and and so when we're talking about like listening to the fans and sort of giving them what they want like it goes down to a really toxic level. Um, and so like in Jason, like you brought up, like, what should we be doing about this? And I, I don't know. I think, I think, I think the answer is like, speak, like speak truth to power or to um, uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And, and in this situation, the comfortable are the gamers and, and, and the, the people who are afflicted are the people making the games, the developers themselves. Um Which is a very strange place to be because I I think a lot of people assume that um, if you're a journalist in this business, your job is either to be a consumer advocate um, or maybe just like you're just supposed to be telling us like what games are good. You know, it's also audiences
2: that have been ignored for so long, like uh, just just a few years ago, you couldn't play a female soldier in Call of Duty, right? Uh, It's just how much… How much uh, are you going to leave people out of this, right? How, how, how much are you going to leave them behind,
0: right? Yeah, and so like when like then that was the battlefield thing when that happens, and you know EA tried to stand up to it, and Dice was like, no, we're going to stick to our guns on this, um, and you know, and then the game gets kind of ignored anyhow in the end, um, f- you know, and for what seems like other reasons, this doesn't seem like people, it didn't seem like people were like, oh, still upset about that, so we're not going to buy this. They just weren't as excited about it because it didn't have a battle Royale mode, which is my read on the situation. Um, but, but yeah, like kind of get back to what we do. I think we just have to s- sort of say it like, you know, gamers are, are behaving in a way that is, um, frightening and, and is threatening and is, is not like, is not e- equivalent with consumer rights. And it can and hurt their own rights, interests, advocacy.
2: right? Uh, that, uh, that. Uh, so so much of the time here, what they're saying is, uh, I want to I want to close off my part of the game industry and stop oh, yeah. stop the newbies or stop other uh, brand new people from coming into it, and uh, they should go off into their own circles or whatever. And it's this tribalism uh, that uh, uh, leads to you know companies deciding this this market opportunity is too small. Uh, and so we're not going to make stuff for it anymore. And lo and behold, there become you know fewer games for these kinds of people. Uh, like the more you welcome people into your tribe, uh, the bigger it becomes, the more people will target your tribe with uh, good games, uh, good products in the future. And, um, and everybody wins. Everybody benefits from a larger and larger market.
3: I guess what i just find weird is it seems like we're we have like better in like in a lot of ways there's more good games coming out per year than ever before in a wide variety of genres and styles and yet people are angrier than ever right like it almost doesn't totally add up and like you know it, a part of it is this kind of weird like unhealthy relationship between developers and their fan base now where you know for so long developers they wanted to not just be a developer they want to be like the boss of their own fan club also like mm-hmm. you know blizzard's a pretty good example of this they have blizzcon right or you know everybody you know the Blizz- you're not just a fan of world of Warcraft, if you're a blizzard fan and it, it kind of leads to this this weird thing where they want like everyone to be family but they're also tearing each other at their at the throats like the, the people are so invested now in blizzard specifically where they can't just be like, well, we could just go play this other action role-playing game. It's like, no, it has to be Diablo. We don't have Diablo right now. We're really upset and scared. Uh, yeah, like, I feel like there needs to be a healthier separation or maybe there needs to be a point where like, okay, look, we, we are a business and you guys are our consumers. Like maybe they need to be reminded of that a bit more than like, you know, no, we're family. We're all like brothers and sisters here.
0: Yeah, and, and you could see why they want to be like, why they would want that relationship or why they did want that relationship because, you know, Blizzard has clearly benefited from it. They've um, been able to re- release one game after another that, that has a built-in audience and uh, it, managing those, th- those people has kind of been the hard thing, right?
3: Yeah. Like Blizzard's interesting in general. You, you get the feeling that Blizzard's not going to be too upset to leave 2018 behind it.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there, I feel like there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about on this topic, but I also think we've kind of, we've covered it pretty broadly and, and, and to the degree that I think we is appropriate for this podcast at this point. Um, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I know why things continue to get worse, I think. And I think it's mostly that there are shit shitsters to get money for shit stirring. Like YouTube. The consumer advocates. Yeah. The consumer advocates on YouTube, they make more money from negativity. They make more money from, from having, um, you know, big, bold headlines that say things are, things are bad and you have a right to be mad. People want to consume that content and YouTube uh, promotes things that are the most popular. And since those are the most popular, that's what gets surfaced to the top. And then people want to keep making that stuff. Um, we talked about that last year. That was kind of our, our, you know, 2018 or 2017 was the year of that. And I, I would probably say that the 2018 is the year of, um, the, these fan overreactions sort of living symbiotically with with those YouTube consumer advocates. Um, it's a, a bummer, and it also feel, I feel pretty powerless. Like, even if we do like do like explain what's happening, it's just never going to be enough to get people to break the cycle until maybe something in like the YouTube algorithm changes or something. Uh, I, I don't know.
3: It's just it's just more inquisition fodder, isn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. Which you know. Jimmy does some good stuff here and there. And and I think, but I think a lot of times that's, yeah, he's just seduced by that is his character. And he kind of goes deeper and deeper into that. So into justifying people being angry, which I I don't know this industry necessarily needs. Um, There's a lot of stuff to be legitimately um, disappointed by, uh, but justifying the sort of anger seems like pretty close to justifying the harassment and the uh, overreacting. And that's, that's where I'm like, uh, uh, that that noise that's yeah. the
3: thing people can't be disappointed anymore they're always mad he be disappointed right. that blistered that uh diablo 4 wasn't announced instead of some mobile game they have to be furious about it
0: right and then they have to to find reasons why it's a scam or why right. it's and a then, like each time there's like
3: it's like they find a reason it, each time like a fact comes out to explain why they shouldn't be as mad like, at first, it's like, they're not even making the game. It's all outsourced to NetEase. it's like, well, that's not true. They're making it with NetEase. It's like, it's a clone of this other game. Well, that's also not true. Yeah, but now we're mad about this, actually. Actually, it's the principle of the thing, it turns out, that makes right. us mad. Like, I think you guys just like being mad.
0: Yeah, you're just moving the goalposts to justify this anger. Yeah, it's it's what they... I mean, it seems like their real hobby is being mad, not video games. It's it's a bummer. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I think that there is maybe a way out, but it's going to take a concerted effort of a bunch of different uh, uh, power brokers in the industry sort of not giving people what they want just because they're screaming and also uh, YouTube making some fundamental changes to the way it works, which who knows if that could or would happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's good things happening, like the companies getting together in the, the Fair Play Alliance and, uh, you
0: know. Um, Dean, you got to get closer to your mic.
2: So I think there's good things happening, like the, the companies getting together in the Fair Play Alliance and, uh, you know, trying to share the best practices of how to how to deal with the uh, rowdy communities. And, um, uh, I, you know, I have hopes that uh, uh, the larger Internet um, uh, can solve this as well, because... Uh, Uh, a lot of people recognize a lot of the misery that the the internet is uh, passing around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, hopefully we'll figure it out. I think we probably will eventually it does. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're pretty early on in what the internet is and maybe it's just going through its own sort of like rowdy teen years and like future generations will have, will be better equipped to handle it. Uh, But yeah, we'll see. Uh, for now, we have to kind of just continue to deal with the shit. Is it
1: rowdy teen years, or are are we in our terrible twos and threes?
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a better example. Yeah, we're definitely definitely toddlers. The internet is is a rowdy toddler. Yes. Okay. Um. Anything else, guys, or or should we get the hell out of here? No,
3: nah, I got work to do.
0: Yeah, let's I've been do it. Like okay.
3: Sleep in a day quilt, night quilt, induced. Coma for the last couple of days. I'm really kind.
0: yeah, you know what's with what the crazy thing is we never even recorded this podcast. You're dreaming right now. Aw, you're gonna wake up again. and you're gonna have to do it all over again. No. Twilight Zone. Um ok, everybody. Thank you for listening. That was kind of the last of our sort of retrospective podcast. Tomorrow. show up again. Uh, check your check your uh, podcast feeds check dot we will have our, our game of the year rundown uh, i think uh, all four of us should be back for that and we might have uh Rowan on as well kind of figuring that out yep. so tune in for that looking forward to it we'll talk to you guys then for now have a good one and enjoy your holidays
1: enjoy your holidays and thank you for listening yay yeah, bye